Okay, I'll assume you didn't hear me the first time. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And the Lord is good. You're living and breathing, breathing proof of that. That the Lord is good because you're not perfect. You guys all look a little different. So do I. Somehow, God works with perfect or imperfect people and makes them perfect, doesn't He? And gives us a heart of, of Christ and salvation through His Son. I think that's cool. Now, I'm going to get in trouble. Turn over, by the way, to Genesis 46, if you will, and have that ready for just a minute. And I may get in trouble for doing this, but if I do, it's Max's fault. And he's not even here to blame, is he? Uh-oh. Sometimes in life you meet people that make your life better. You have some of those? Sometimes you bump into people, maybe sometimes for a short while, and they encourage you. I mean, they do something to your spiritual life that it makes a mark in your life and more than encourages you, but helps you understand and realize that we're not all in this together. That it's a family. I have one such person that I've known just a, a really short time. She has encouraged me. I was in a Bible study with her last year. And she encourages has encouraged me greatly. I've told her this personally. It's not something that she doesn't know. Her faith is amazing. Her love for God's Word is beyond encouraging. And she just turned 94 years old. Janita Kale. God bless you, sister. 94. Isn't that something? Amen. Now, most of you sitting out there, I did this for two reasons, because I wanted to. I just thought she should be honored. And number two, none of you are even half her age or even a third of her age, most of you. So it's, it's encouraging to have somebody at least closer to my age in this church. I look around and the Lord keeps adding to our church, and there are some older folks coming. The, the youth of this church... I, I tell Charlotte all the time, the youth of this church, particularly all the children, um, are such an encouragement to me because there's life there. And the future of this church, I think, is great. Well, getting back to the Scriptures, Genesis chapter 46, I think Wes last week in chapter 45 gave us a very good summary of where we, where, where we were in Genesis 45 in the life of Joseph from chapter 37 through pretty much the end of the book of Genesis through chapter 50, which is rather a large chunk of a book, is dedicated to the life of Joseph. So I will not bore you and go through what he went through last week because, like I said, I think he did a masterful job in summarizing where we are in Genesis 46 from Genesis 37. But I will say this. Remember Jacob? It's been a while. 
Does your memory go back that far? We've been talking about uh, Joseph for so long that it's easy to forget about some of these other characters that were in, in the book previously. His name was changed to Israel, if you remember, in, in chapter 35 to more communicate what God felt about who he was more than anything. And so with that name change, Jacob continues to be a key character in the book of Genesis. But in chapter 37, Joseph comes on the scene and sort of dominates um, since chapter 37. But Jacob, for some reason, enters the picture again in Genesis chapter 46. When I began looking at this passage, I couldn't understand why. And the more I looked at it, the more I read it, the more I studied it, the more I began to glean exactly what God was attempting to do here. It's easy in life as a believer to think that, now again, some of you are very young, and so maybe, maybe this doesn't relate. But those of us who have a few years in the Lord can attest to this fact, and I think I would probably get a hearty amen from some where we think that the Lord may be not through with us, but moving on to the younger folks. Or maybe we're at a stage in life where it's like the Lord doesn't remember us anymore. Or He doesn't remember us as, as He used to. It seemed as though when we were younger that, that we got a lot of attention. It seemed, seemed like the Lord was doing more in our lives, doesn't it? And so it's easy as a result of that, and maybe you're there as a younger person where you get to the point in your life, whether you want to call it stale or whether you want to call it just sort of stagnant or whether you just whatever you want to call it, you sort of feel like you're there. And from time to time, the Lord God does things and meets us in places and in situations to remind us that He has never forgotten you. And if you've never been there, I will assure you, some of the older saints, they will. Amen? If you've never been there, and you probably have, you will eventually sometime in your life to remember that the Lord never forgets His children. So anyway, getting back to chapter 46, remember Jacob? Remember Jacob, the one in chapter 25 that was born to Isaac? and he had a brother named, very good, named Esau. And in chapter 25, Jacob and Esau are born. And in verse 2, it it tells us a a little bit about them. We won't go there, but we find out later in that chapter that, that Jacob swindles Esau out of his birthright. And then becomes a deceiver in chapter 27 with the help of his mother Rebecca, and the birthright is all but his. Remember that? And then he proceeds to, in essence, become a thief and goes to his father and lies to his father because his father is old and can't see and can't make out who he is. And so. Officially, with Isaac's blessing, the birthright is now Jacob's. 
should have went to his brother, but instead now as a result of his thievery, his deception, it now becomes his. And so remember last week Wes preached on Genesis 45 and he talked about Egypt, how Egypt was prospering and was thriving economically and in all phases and while the world starved, Egypt prospered. Egypt is going to play a key picture in the life of Jacob, but before he does, I want to remind you of, of this very thing because Joseph understood that if you'll go back one chapter to chapter 45, and if you will look with me in chapter 45, I want you to notice something about Jacob's son Joseph. And he understood all that God was doing in his life because in chapter 45, in verse 1, Joseph could not control himself when he meets his brothers that stood by him and he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with them when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph has a conversation with his brothers and he inquires if his father is still alive and they assure him that he is. And if you drop all the way down to verse 7, you see Joseph's understanding of how God is involved not only in his life, but in the life of his brothers, as well as in the life of his father, Jacob. And Joseph says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. You know, Jacob basically says, You know, you sent me here. You sent me here to have evil become to me. But God sent me here for good. And he says in verse 8, Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Don't you think that's fascinating? A father to Pharaoh. And Lord over all his household and ruler over the land of Egypt. And it's fascinating to me that Joseph not only understood this, but also understood that God in the life of His people does not always use conventional methods for His purpose to accomplish His goal in the believer's life. So you may be going through something right now and you think, man, this is odd. But God does not always reveal the details of the outcome, but we can see His purpose being fulfilled in our logical look. Jacob, go back to chapter 46, verse 1, moves to Egypt. Before he ever gets to Egypt, though, something occurs in his life that I think you'll find rather personal, maybe in your own life. I know when I read this and began to understand as Jacob begins to depart and head for Egypt, that he does something that is rather interesting. And if you read it, as I did, it means nothing to you. But in chapter 46, verse 1, it says, So Israel, who is Jacob, set out with all he had and came to Beersheba. Does that mean anything to you? Yes? No? It's okay. Most of you are probably going to say, as I did, I've heard the name maybe a few times in the Old Testament. I, I relate a little bit to it's a place somewhere in the, you know, probably in that map in my Bible. 
in the back in the Old Testament times, right? And I could probably find it and maybe tell you where it is geographically, geographically within a thousand miles maybe. But frankly, it doesn't mean anything to me. Hagar and Ishmael find comfort in God's provision there in Genesis chapter 21. Do you know who Hagar and Ishmael are? Hagar was a handmaid, handmaiden, whom Abraham had a son by, and his name was Ishmael. Well, of course, when his wife found out what had happened, she was not very happy. And as a result of that, she basically, for lack of better words, kicked them out of the household. And now he's on the run, and guess where he ends up? Beersheba. He ends up there, and, and the Bible tells us a little gem that's hidden in verse 20 of chapter 21 that God was with the lad. Isn't that cool? I mean, just that phrase, God was with the lad. You know, you read that on its own, it means nothing to you, but it meant everything to Jacob. Abraham, upon his covenant with Abimelech in chapter 21 in the same chapter, planted a tamarisk tree there in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abimelech's observation, someone else who wasn't necessarily even following God, is that God was with Abraham in Beersheba. Isaac goes there in chapter 26 of Genesis, hears a message from God, and builds an altar there. You know where? In Beersheba. And in verse 24 of that chapter, God says to him, Do not fear, I am with you. It seems to be a place where God meets people, you know, where they are, and reminds them of who He is and confirms His commitment to them. And so we read again, so Israel set out with all that he had and he came to Beersheba. This must have been a place where Jacob knew of the history of how God dealt with His people in this place. And he was not just going to make a pit stop in Beersheba just to stop there and rest and offer a sacrifice, but understanding the history with how God had dealt with the people of, of His own people, he wanted to stop and remember and remind himself that this is where God had dealt with a lot of His own people, had blessed them there, had reminded them of who He was, and that He was with them. Is there a place in your life like that? Is there a Beersheba in your life? Where there are people in your family where God is, has blessed, and He's reminded them of how much He loves them, and reminds them of who He is, and you go there in your mind, 
You may not physically go and build an altar there, but you go there in your mind and you say, you know, God has been good to this person in my family. He's blessed them. He's encouraged them. He's reminded them of who He is. You have a place like that? Jacob did. It was Beersheba. And he understood exactly what God was doing at the time. Verse 2. When he offers this sacrifice to the God of his father, Isaac, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And of course, Jacob responded to the Lord. Lord, here I am. Remember the last time that Jacob has a vision in chapter 28? Remember the latter? Can you go back that far? No? That's all right. I probably can't either. I mean, that's a long time ago. That's 18, 19 chapters ago, Ryan. I, if, if, most of the people, do you, if most of the people said yes, be encouraged. The memory fades fast. But, take heart. It gets better as you get older. No, it doesn't. You had hope there for a minute. Remember the last time he has a vision? In Genesis chapter 28. You want to go back there with me? Ah, why not? Let's go back there. Flip back to Genesis 28. It's only a few pages. It won't hurt. Genesis chapter 28. Verse 10. Then Jacob departed from... Wow. There it is again. Where? Beersheba. Beersheba is very important in Jacob's life, evidently. And he went toward Haran. He came to a certain place. He spent the night there. And because the son had said, he, he took one of the stones and put it under his head and he lay down. He had a dream. And in this dream in verse 13, and I think this is critical in the life of Jacob at this point in Genesis 46. And in this dream, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, and I want you to notice this because this is critical. I am the Lord God. I say, well, that was revelation. I knew that already. Hang on. He says in verse 13, I am the Lord God, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Drop down to verse 15. He says, and behold, I am, remember this, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now Jacob says in verse 16, after he awakens from his sleep. Underline this. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I know you've been there. Seeing the Lord work and not knowing that He's working. Rest assured, by the way, that He always is. Whether you think He is or whether you know He is, He is. It's always working. You know why the Lord is always working in your life? Because if you're a child of God, He loves you. If 
you're a child of God this morning, He is committed to you. Irregardless of where you go, what you do, what you think, He is committed to you. I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that. But He is. And He always has been. From the beginning of Genesis, through the book of Revelation, through the time of history, up until this point in history. He loves you, He cares for you, and He is committed to you. And He wants you to remember that. See what Jacob says in verse 16? Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Now Jacob shows a little bit of his humanity because he is afraid, as I suppose all of us would be. And he says, how awesome is this place. And he makes a promise to God, and you may remember this. He gets up early in the morning in verse 18. He takes a stone, put it on his head, and he sets up a pillar and pours oil on it. Basically makes a sacrifice to God here to remind him, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Then Jacob in verse 20 makes a vow and he says, if God will be with me and keep me on this journey that I take, they already said what? He would do that. Correct? He just said that. God said, I will be with you. I'll bring you back. I'll bless you. And I return in verse 21 to my father's house of safety. Then the Lord will be my God. Right there is where Jacob turns, it seems, from the deceiver, from the cheat, from the liar, from whatever you want to call him, to someone who is truly seeking God. And it seems to be connected with Beersheba. Back to chapter 46. He has this vision in the night and he said, here I am. And in verse 3, the Lord says to him, I'm God. Now hold on a minute. Now again, we're so accustomed to that as Christians, right? It doesn't do anything to us. Am I right? I mean, God says, I am God. That could stand alone. That could stand alone. When all else fails, that will stand alone. No matter what we think, no matter what, what we think about whether God has left us, deserted us, not using us anymore, not whatever, that will stand the test of time. Those three words, I am God. And I think sometimes it's good to be reminded of that. That He is God. He always has been, He is, and He always will be. And whatever we're going through, wherever we are in life, that does not change that one iota. Let me ask a question. Do you think that God needs to remind Jacob who he is? I don't think so. No, why does he do it? Because God thinks it's important for us to be reminded that he is God. Now, if he is God, he is God. I'm going to assume that we all believe that He is God. Don't you think that He would care for those that He loves? That He would He would remind us from time to time that He's going to bless us as He did Jacob in 28 and as He's going to do again here? And that He would remind us that not only am I God and I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to make your name great. Because in doing so, I make my name great. 
And he says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation. And I have to, I have to admit to you, if I'm in Jacob's place at this point, this is where it gets all fuzzy. I'm okay with the I am God part. Are you? No, you okay with that? I mean, you believe that, you know that, and you can come around and go, okay. I, I, I know that. I do need to be reminded of that. But this is where for me it will get really, really hazy. Okay, you're going to take me from a place that I am extremely comfortable with. I know the people. I have lots of flocks, lots of herds, lots of money, lots of family members. It tells us a little bit later that 70 and all go with Jacob to Egypt when he officially leaves. And you're going to take me from all of this to another country and you're going to do what? To me, it would really get murky about now. Because I'm not going to understand that. But here's the hitch in all of this. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference where God takes Jacob if he can remember that he is God. And then if he at Beersheba can hear the voice of God and be reminded, I am God. That's all he needs. It doesn't matter if he stays where he is. It doesn't matter if he goes to Egypt. It doesn't matter if he moves his tent and his people 50 miles down the road. If he can remember who God is. It's good sometimes to be reminded of who God is. And that one little statement, I am God, seems to be enough. Sometimes it's easy to lose track of that, isn't it? Who God is. I mean, how many of us find ourselves standing as it were looking in the proverbial mirror and we've, we've got the Bible stories down, we, we know all the major things in the Bible, right? If somebody asks us a question, we won't get too stumped, right? And if we do, we can fake it a little and, you know, sort of talk around it and, and give a reasonably reasonable answer to where we're not going to be too embarrassed. And nobody's going to tell so-and-so that knows you that, hey, this guy really doesn't know him as much as I thought he did, you know. And so we can pick our way around and yet forget the fact that God is God. And that's all we need. Now, I'm not here to tell you this morning that do not study, do not learn. Please, continue to learn as much about God through His Word as you possibly can. I think that's important. But how many times can we get lost in all of that and forget who God is? Just at Beersheba, Jacob is going to be reminded as he prepares to go to Egypt who God is. Now, to a lot of other people, that's not earth-shattering. But to Jacob, at the end of his life, it is life-changing. And it's a reminder to Jacob of how much God is committed to him in the twilight of his life. Isn't that cool? We'll all be there someday. He is the Lord God, the Most High God, the Everlasting God. He's the eternal God. He's the living God. He's the holy God. He's the mighty God. 
He is the sovereign God. He is the God who is ever present with Jacob when he travels to Egypt and even while he's there. Verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there and I will go down with you to Egypt. Isn't it interesting? As we travel in life, there are things during that travel period that get rough. I think Ryan in his prayer or in some of his comments previous to his prayer, tough times come to the believer. Jacob's going to journey to Egypt. We don't know what happened. But you know he encountered adversity. You know things happen. There were no jets then. It takes a while to travel from where he lives there to Egypt. But God just reminds him, on your journey, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry about it. I got it covered. Now I suspect that he probably can, don't you? I, I'm going to guess he can hit most things. No, I think he can hit them all. Isn't that a great verse? I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again. And this was stunning to me at the end of verse 4. And Joseph will close your eyes. You know, say so. Well, that means that Joseph is going to have to come back to his homeland. Now, how's that going to happen? Now, at this point, Jacob knows very little about Joseph. He doesn't know much more than he is a mighty man in the land of Egypt, pretty much what his brothers have told him, second in command. Now, how he relates to that and what that means to him, we don't, we don't get a clue here. But eventually that's going to sink in. This has happened to you, where God speaks or you read something in His Word and you don't get it at, the, at that point. But during your travels in life, your journey in life, it finally clicks. Always tell people, I'm not very smart. No, no, I'm not. But eventually I'll get it. Are you like that? God, if you'll get me enough time, I will get it. And somewhere along the line, he realizes what God has said to him here. Not only am I going to take you down there because I'm committed to you. I'm the God that met you at Beersheba. I'm the God that met your, your, the patriarchs, your fathers and your forefathers and your family members at Beersheba and promised them that I would be with them and promised them that I would bless them and reminded them of who I am, God. And not only am I going to take you to Egypt, but I'm going to bring you back and your son's coming back with you. It's going to bury you. Somewhere along the journey in Jacob's life, that kicked in. And he was like, whoa. This guy really means business. And I would think that most of us that at least have known the Lord a while would say, yeah, he does. He is committed to us. Verse 5. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. 
You know, Jacob not only prepares to go to Egypt, now, but now he's on his way. I mean, it's really happening. There have been some that suggested, and they very well may be right, that Jacob had to go to Egypt. It was go there or starve. I'm not so sure that's the case. I'm not so sure that back numerous chapters ago when he meets God in chapter 28 and says, God, if you do this, you will be my God. Wherever I go and whatever I do, I'll always be reminded because of Beersheba that you're a God, that you're committed to me, and that you always will be. If I stay here and starve, that doesn't change anything. You hear what I'm saying? If I go to Egypt and become prominent and develop even more wealth, it doesn't change anything. If I go from Egypt to another country and my life changes completely, it doesn't mean anything. So this is where Jacob is. I think this is where what Jacob is thinking. It doesn't change anything. You know why? Because you're God. Because you're God and you're committed to me. And that's all I need. So starve, become more prosperous. Let's go, God. Let's do this. Isn't that cool? And so, verse 6, a lot of stuff goes. As a matter of fact, they took their livestock in verse 6, which they acquired in the land, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. His sons, grandsons, and all that stuff. And you don't, you don't read that. You'll, you'll fall asleep on me. But if you, if you read down later on, you'll find, as I mentioned earlier, through verse, you know, verses 8 through down, down through, say, verse 27, you'll find that 70 persons in all travel with Jacob down to Egypt. Well, Jacob in verse 28 meets Joseph. Can you imagine that? That exchange. All these years had passed and they'd been separated. At first, remember, he thought he was dead. Then years had passed, he finds out he's alive. I just I can't imagine that emotional roller coaster. Can't imagine that feeling that comes over a father to think that one of his children is dead and now he's alive. So he's finally going to meet Joseph face to face. And in verse 28, he sends Judah before him before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen and they, they come and Joseph prepares everything to meet his dad and, and he meets him and of course the reunion would be the same with any father in this situation. And then Israel in verse 30, Jacob says to Joseph, now let me die. My life has been fulfilled now. Since I've seen your face and you're still alive, and Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they've been keepers of livestock. Now keep that in mind. Please, keep that in mind. And they brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have, and it shall come about when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation that you will say? 
Your shepherds have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now. Don't you find that a little strange? No? Both we and our fathers that you may live in the land of Goshen. Read the rest of it, would you? Read the rest of it. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Hear what I'm about to tell you as we close this message. Hear, hear this. Because God is God, and He meets us and reminds us of that from time to time, irregardless of where you go and what you do in life, He is committed to you. What is the one thing from the very beginning that God was committed to with His children? To keep them pure, right? A pure race of people. His people. And what do they do? Or what do they do? They move into other territories and they take other lands and, and they get to know other people that are not their own people. They do what? Intermarry? That was not a good thing. God said, don't do that. Now, irregardless, hold on now. Whoa. This is 2018, right? You can't do that this, this day and age. You're not supposed to say stuff like that. But I'm just telling you, this is what God said. Don't intermarry. Well, they do. And when they do, what happens? When they intermarry, when they go against what God has set down as His purpose for them, all kinds of bad things happen. Not only to them, but to the nation of Israel, just simply because God said do this, and they violated it. Now He sends them down to Egypt, of all places, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, bar none. No other nation was even second close to the land of Egypt. Remember what I said? While the rest of the world starved, Egypt prospered? That could not begin to describe the power of Egypt at this time. And he's going to send Jacob and the other 69 people down there and he is going to protect them in a land where the Egyptians, they, they, they hate shepherds. Is that unconventional? I mean, how God operates, is that unconventional? You know why He does it? Because He's God. I don't know about you. That's comforting to me. Because He's let me try a few things in my life. I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm not very good at it. And you know something I know about you? You're not very good at it either. <laughs> I mean, we can bounce along for a while. But when God is involved in our life because He is committed to us, because He's God, and He loves us and reminds us of that from time to time, I think He's got it covered. 
And when we as believers feel all alone and maybe God has forgotten us, He comes through in the midst of all else and reminds His child, I am God, the God of your fathers, and I will be with you. Shall we pray? Father, I know I need that reminder. I don't want to be reminded of that only when I'm in a quagmire. When I'm in a place where I don't know what to do. In a situation where I don't and cannot find my direction in life. As you remind me of that and as you remind your children of that, I pray that we would be so sensitive to that very truth that you are God and you're committed to us. That wherever our Beersheba is, that we would, we would go there from time to time. And hear those words, I am God. In Jesus' name.